Data released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention show autism spectrum disorder is the fastest growing developmental disability. I'm Indiana News Desk anchor Joe Rennan. Today on Noon Edition, we'll discuss how organizations are adapting their services to fit the growing and changing needs. We'll speak with representatives of various organizations throughout the state that offer resources and education to people who have autism and their families. And we invite you to join the conversation after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. Hello and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Indiana News Desk anchor Joe Wren in today for Bob Zaltzberg. I'm here today with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Hello. How are hi. you? Hi, Joe. It's nice to have you in the studio. You look nice and warm in your sweat. Actually, everybody's wearing sweaters today. Yeah, it's a sweater day for sure. Today we were talking about autism. Data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention show autism is the fastest growing de- developmental disability. Today on Noon Edition, we'll speak with representatives from various organizations providing autism resources throughout the state. We'll take a look at how they're adapting their services to fit the changing and growing needs. We have in-studio members of various organizations that provide these resources and education to people with autism and their families. Shauna Ritter is the director of the Foundation for Autism Resources. Melissa Duby is an educational consultant at the Indiana Resource Center for Autism. And Dana Renee is the chief executive ally in the Autism Society of Indiana. Thank you all for being here today. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. Thanks if you that. would like to join the conversation, give us a call, 812 855 or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. We'll say those again a little bit later on. You can also join our live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, or you can even tweet us at noon edition. Let's just start today with having our guest explain kind of what your organization does, what your particular role is, and then maybe what kind of makes your organization unique. Melissa, let's go ahead and start with you. Um, I work at Indiana Resource Center for Autism here in Bloomington, and we service families and teachers, educators uh, across the state of Indiana. For families, we we work with, we have free parent group meetings. Uh, we have grant information on our website. We have a really active social media uh, information on our website. We also disseminate information and do an outreach kind of, of and kind of experiences like that for parents. We also, uh, we have a social worker on staff, so she takes calls from parents, and if parents are moving to a new area, be able to give them resources in their area so they can get connected with therapists or know who to contact at their schools and things like that. 
We also have a group of, of, of autism leaders across the state of Indiana. We have about 200 autism leaders that we are in constant contact with on a listserv. And then from that information, we also we give them training, but then they give us insights of what's happening in their schools and uh, what, what kind of needs are with their parents so that we can provide workshops and training. Um, we also do... We have, we're part of a national federal grant a few years back, and as a result of that, we were educated in uh, 27 evidence-based practices. And so there are five of us in the office that go out to school districts, and we work with educators, regular ed, special ed, and administration, and try to train them on the evidence-based practices. Mm -hmm. And so it's really more than just a going to a workshop, though. It's more of us going in, modeling for the staff what to do, and then coaching them how to do it so that when I leave, I could be able to, they would feel empowered to do the information themselves and so that they can um, build capacity within their districts. You know, it occurs to me, we're talking about autism, but let's mm -hmm. define it for people because, you know, maybe not everybody has a very, really clear idea of what exactly autism is. And anybody, and then, but we do want to hear, of course, about each of your programs, but who wants to bite that off? I will, sure. Sure, thanks. Um, so autism is uh, really an interesting spectrum disorder. Um, there is a definition of autism in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is put out by the um, American Psychiatric Association. And last year, there was a big change in the diagnostic criteria. Um, previously, it used to be called a pervasive developmental disorder, and then there were a bunch of different types of autism underneath. Um, autistic disorder, Rett syndrome, childhood disintegrative disorder, Asperger syndrome, and uh, PDD-NOS, which is pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified. Mm. And so, you know, the thing that's really important to know is that there's not a good kind of autism and a bad kind of autism. It really is a spectrum disorder. and Which what happens, means it's somewhere on a... Right. And yeah, what I mean by that is that... Um, based on all the characteristics of autism, so that can be social interaction, um, impulsivity, inability to make eye contact, um, there might be some sensory issues. Difficulties expressing oneself verbally, for right, example. Right, right. Um, you know, there's just a variety of different characteristics, and you could be low-functioning in some of those areas and high-functioning in other areas. And what's interesting is with the new release of the um, DSM, they've really they've grouped everything together because they recognize that interventions really change the behaviors of individuals with autism. So somebody could start out, a child could start out being nonverbal, and then with intervention, and there are a number of interventions that I'm sure we'll talk about, mm -hmm. um, they could become higher functioning in that area. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, but um, they recognize that there can be changes and sometimes people get diagnosed later in life. Mm -hmm. You know, we obviously want people to be diagnosed, kids to be diagnosed as early as possible, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that that doesn't always happen. But, you know, it's really important to know that some people think that Asperger's syndrome is kind of the good kind. And really, people with Asperger's, which is, you know, kind of, again, grouped into this big autism spectrum disorder, really have some pretty significant limitations and barriers to social communication and um, recognizing nonverbals and those types of things, which, of course, again, there are interventions for that, but they still have struggles. 
you know, and I think just to put it really simply, because I'm coming from the lay perspective, I'm not an expert on autism. My expertise lies in other areas. But it's a developmental disability, and it's the fastest growing developmental disability. And what, as a lay person, you perceive most often is effects in terms of social, emotional, uh, verbal communication patterns. I know it's much more complex mm-hmm. than that, as Dana was saying, and as, um, as you well know, Melissa well knows. Um, but I think one of the important things that Dana started to say is that there's no cure for autism. A child's not going to outgrow autism. But intervention, really evidence-based interventions can make all the difference in how autism manifests itself as a child grows. Shauna, why don't you just continue and t- tell us about what your organization does. Sorry, and- could I just jump in? One- oh, sure. so sorry. Since you said we could jump in whenever sure. we wanted. Sure. <laughs> um, I just wanted to clarify something that um, Shauna said, which is it's not growing. So there aren't necessarily more people who are affected by autism. It's that more people are being diagnosed with autism. <laughs> some agree and some don't. But, you know, it's it's something that we're able to recognize much earlier. You know, if when my son was diagnosed with autism uh, eight or nine years ago, the incidence rate was one in 50,000 or something like that. And now the incidence rate is much, much higher. But we're doing a much better job of identifying it uh Parents are doing a better job of thinking about it and looking at the developmental milestones. Physicians are more educated on what to do and where to recommend people or kids go to get screened. And there are many, many more providers who are experts in autism around the state. So... um I am the director of the Foundation for Autism Resources, FAR, makes it much easier. We're a very new nonprofit. We've been around for just about a year and a half now. And we're trying to fill a very specific niche in the autism community. There's so much out there in terms of resources, but we specifically extend opportunity to all children on the spectrum coming from families who have no other way to access supports and resources. Um, We really specialize in working with families who are low income. Um, who don't have access to insurance that's going to cover therapy or their Medicaid doesn't cover therapy. So what we're trying to do is create equal opportunity for all children. My background is in equal access in education um, across the board and in family engagement. So as I said, I'm not an expert in autism, but I do know about getting families connected with resources. And that's why FAR exists. Um, In the last year and a half, we've served about 19 children, getting them over 30 hours a week, especially of eight. ABA, that's Applied Behavioral Analysis, which is one of the therapies that was mentioned both by Melissa and Dana. It's um, an evidence-based, which means they've done a lot of research on that to prove that they have very positive effects. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about ABA because I was a general ed teacher. Uh, I'm a constructivist, which means like it's the absolute polar opposite of what behaviorism is about, right? I That was my approach, and I sort of shook my head at ABA and said, no, no. But I watched it, and I learned about it, and I found out it's not about giving a reward, you know, just like stoking a kid with rewards. It's really about developing a very complex, complete program that's going to build on a child's, and in our case, a child and a family's strengths and challenges in order to help a child grow in the areas um, where it's most needed. Okay. So that was Shauna, though I'd like to hear a little bit more about Dana and your organization. Okay, Okay, thank you. Um, So we are the Autism Society of Indiana. Uh, We're the statewide affiliate of the Autism Society of America. So we cover the entire state. And 
you know, our mission is to improve the lives of all people affected by autism. And when we say that, we mean all people affected. So that's not just the individual and their family, but it's also their neighbors, their teachers, their doctors, their therapists, you know, the whole spectrum, <laughs> for lack of a better term, of the people who touch that individual's lives. Um, we do that by, we have several programs. Um, our core program is called the Indiana Allies. And the reason why we all call ourselves an ally, so I'm the chief executive ally, is because we feel that an advocate is somebody who speaks on behalf of somebody else, and an ally is somebody who comes together with that individual wherever they are, geographically, financially, and emotionally. So there are 12 allies around the state um, and what they do is they're that first point of contact for anybody. So if a, a parent calls in and says, something's going on with my child, or we just got a diagnosis, or we're having trouble with the school or insurance or whatever, mm -hmm. um, we can provide much deeper information and mm -hmm. uh, resources than just, you know, here's a list of places that you can call. And what makes that program especially unique is that um, every ally is the parent or caregiver of, an, of a child with autism. Oh. And so that is what makes us um, really understand that deep, deep issue that comes along with parenting a child with autism because we live it and breathe it 24-7. Mm -hmm. And so that is pretty much the only requirement to be an ally because I can teach them all about Article 7 and insurance and Medicaid and interventions, but I can't teach anybody what that feels like mm -hmm. to get that diagnosis or to wait for a diagnosis or to go into your first case conference or anything like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we also have a couple other programs. We have a youth leadership forum, which brings together 25 high school juniors and seniors from around the state hmm. for an intensive uh, five to six day curriculum. So they stay overnight at uh, the, the dorms at IUPUI, and they learn about leadership, legislation, and self-determination. They come out of that program with actual action steps to go back to their community and apply those skills, those leadership skills that they've learned. And so we had our first youth leadership forum last July, and our next one is this July, and we still are accepting applications for that. It's at no cost to the families or the kids. And actually, we don't charge families for any of this work that we do to support them. And that's very, that's one of our core values because, again, we're parents of children with autism and we know how incredibly expensive it is, mm -hmm. you know, to care for a child. It's something like $3.2 million mm -hmm. over the course of a life mm -hmm. of an individual with autism. It's really, really high. Um, we have an employment program called Career Ally, and that really was developed for all of the young adults and adults with autism who either don't qualify for vocational rehabilitation services or it hasn't really been working for them. Mm. And the individual who runs that program is on the spectrum himself, so we do employ people with autism as well. Um, and one of our allies is on the spectrum herself. She's our uh, Spanish-speaking ally, so that's pretty cool. And so he works with people to help figure out what kind of meaningful jobs they want to have and how to get them. Um, we have a new respite care program for families who are really struggling. And it's, it's 
for we received a very nice gift from a, a local businessman to be able to provide respite to families who don't have access to Medicaid or waiver or other funding sources. And so um, that just started in That's January. Amazing. And so already we have five families who are getting free respite care for their children so the parents can reconnect with each other and do things that they weren't able to do ever because they were just focus so much on the, the children. Yeah, it really changes the family dynamic mm-hmm. to have one child, or in some cases, more than one child who right. really has... Right. I, I want to add to the importance of what Dana is saying in terms of the effect on the whole family. One of the things I was most touched with by a mom who was getting services, and we work specifically with home-based or hybrid care. Because I come from a family engagement background, that means that there's a therapist in the house for a good deal of the time, and the therapy involves the family and the sibs. Mm-hmm. But she said... She called me to tell me that um, her three children had sat down to play a board game, and the therapist was there and was able to support the child on the spectrum with playing the game. It was the first time ever she had seen all her kids be able to sit together and get mm-hmm. through a board game, and that it affects the whole family, really and the does, whole right. family needs support in order to be best able to help the child right. and themselves. Definitely. Yeah, and then the the last thing that we really are involved in is um, policy and yeah. legislation, and so our goal always with that is to make sure that the entire population of individuals with autism, regardless of how low or high functioning they are, mm-hmm. you know, if they also have intellectual disabilities or a co-occurring mental illness, that they're able to be served to the best possible extent. And you know, we work with a lot of different organizations around the state. We work very closely with um, IRCA, and we're just learning more about FAR and InSource, who focuses a lot on education. So we really try not to duplicate efforts. Mm-hmm. We really want to be able to leave the expertise in the hands of the experts. So while we know a lot, you know, if there's something going on in the school, we're going to call Marcy and Kathy and say, you know, do you know anything about what's going on? Because they have that direct connection right. with their autism leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's something going on with insurance, we can reach out to that kind of group who is more expert and can really make those systemic changes. You mentioned the schools. I'm curious, where did where does the public school obligation begin and end? And I'm sure that's probably kind of an impossible question to answer, but if you could give us at least kind of an idea, um, you know, what they're, what people are, what services children are entitled to through our public school systems. And I'm sure it varies probably from school system to school system. So uh, the school, the students are identified with uh, a disability in the school districts or through the, even if they have an outside evaluation, they still have to have a a school evaluation because we have what we call a state law called Article 7, which is, uh, so once they're identified, then we provide services and the services can be on a continuum of anything from self-contained in a private classroom to being in general ed completely and then just having a consultation with a staff member. Mm-hmm. So it really there's a continuum of services. Um, we call it least restrictive environment of what's needed for each student. And each child, if once they have a diagnosis, um, would have to have what's called an IEP, an individual education plan. Mm-hmm. And so that would be part of it that would then outline their program in the school. And then every, I mean, there's the state laws, federal mm-hmm. laws, state laws, and then the way each district or school corporation interprets the laws. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to make, Mercy, um, 
mentioned something that's really important, that you can have an outside medical diagnosis of autism, Mm -hmm. but you also have to have an educational assessment done. They don't, and if you have an educational, quote, diagnosis of autism, Mm -hmm. that doesn't make any difference when you have a medical Mm -hmm. diagnosis. Mm So that's really something that parents struggle with because the medical diagnosis is extremely expensive. um, And sometimes the schools and that diagnosis don't jive all the time. And so that's why it's important for, um, um, I'm sorry, I called you Mercy. That's okay. It's Melissa. She <laughs> works you. with a Mercy. I, <laughs> I got <laughs> really something at me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it just popped into my head. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so, I was just writing you a note. Hey, I'm Mars. I'm Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I've only known you for like eight forever. Years. Like forever. Forever. it's funny you're on, on a radio now. You can come I up know. with these things. Now we can't delete and re-record, <laughs> right? Um, so you know, in those cases where there is a discrepancy, where you know the family might see that there's something really going on, and the schools are like, I don't know, it's not happening so much mm-hmm. at school. Well, we know that either they're not seeing something or the kid is holding it together really well, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that they don't need Mm -hmm. some support. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that would be a perfect time for us to reach out to IRCA, um, to InSource, to other connections that we have Mm -hmm. to make sure that you know, those things are jiving. IRCA. That's, oh, that's Indiana, Indiana Resource, Resource Center. Center. Sorry. Indiana Resource Still Center. All these. Sorry, we should have brought okay. you the glossary. I know. Alphabet Acronyms of special ed. Yeah, yeah and I also yeah. want to hear, so the way FAR works, since we are working with individual children, individual families, is we then, wherever we are in the state, will also, if that child is in school, they will approach the school district to see if the school district will allow the therapist to come in and work shadowing. Some school mm-hmm. districts will allow that some school districts won't so we might work with children after school. I think everybody tries to bend mm-hmm. to fit mm-hmm. what the culture of the community the school district and the needs of the child and the family are yeah everything is individualized to what the stu- students are needed through like you said the individual education plan I want to give the phone numbers out really quick 877-285-9348 you can call and join this discussion what are some of those bigger items that that need to change in schools that are not happening? Um, From our perspective, um, we see a wide variety in the services and supports um, that are happening in schools. And um, there are some schools that really are embracing um, these positive behavior supports. Um, They're making it consistent throughout the schools, so it's not so obvious that the kids who really are utilizing visual supports and um, other types of kind of non-invasive, inter- not intervention, but accommodations, mm-hmm. you know, so, and it really helps every student. Um, but there are some, some schools around the state that just don't have a lot of funding and there aren't a lot of resources, providers, teachers that are trained. Um, and that goes into a much bigger systemic issue that we probably don't have enough time to get mm-hmm. into right now. But but that's a really important point. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, it's very it's hard for teachers to get all of the training that they need. I mean, there are a lot of really good workshops and training and materials on evidence based practices, but because the students with autism are so different, 
you know, how do schools, and this is something that we hear from the families and we share this information with the experts over here, you know, how do we as parents work with the schools to make sure that the teachers know what works at home and what works at school we can do at home. And so we really encourage that two-way partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's a big disparity in quality of resources, um, the number of teachers and aides mm-hmm. available in the schools. Um, and you know, maybe you can speak a little bit more to that. I, I just want to add something from a general perspective. Um, f- before I became director of FAR, I worked for a long time with the Center for Evaluation Education Policy, specific, uh, specifically around special education disproportionality nationally and statewide. Um, and one of the things that we felt, and this is sort of across the board, is that what's really uh, one of the things that's really needed is a true collaboration between special ed teachers, general ed teachers, families, and outside therapists and caretakers, so that when you have something like the case conference, which is a requirement for children that have a diagnosis, that you bring in all the different players of of that and everybody that's affected, mm-hmm. and they get an equal voice. Experts are going to have expertise um, in one area. Families have expertise in another area, mm-hmm. and that expertise needs to be honored as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we can talk up and down about funding, and a lot of times funding um, it's a reality. I don't want to. I don't want to negate that at all. But it becomes an excuse. What if we can collaborate with the resources that we have now? If we can find ways to do that, we can get much stronger. I think, in addition to what you're both saying, is that I think some of the services is that we have. We're lucky. We're one of the few states in the country actually that have a group of autism leaders across the state. Mm-hmm. We have, like I was saying earlier, we have over 200 autism leaders, and those stemmed from a training that we started in 1996 for team training. And so groups of, and we still have that team training. It comes six days a year, uh, six days a, a year, and then we have those teams becomes groups in the state and so then they go back to their districts and then they take take the training that we're doing and they're putting it back into their district Mm -hmm. and so as a result then those people become the key people for us to be able to um, be our contact Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. and so as a result then those people then become um, our our connections to the state. And so we have a listserv of those people, and then those people become our people that are in the schools giving us an, a, you know, information. The other thing to add to what Shauna was saying is that's the whole big part about us going into the schools and providing the modeling and the coaching is because I work right now with three different districts and I have three students that I'm working with and I really make sure on the team that I have general ed, special ed, administrators, all of that within the team. Mm-hmm. And so actually I won't go into a school unless I make sure I have general ed and special ed collaborating and then having the parents on the team as well. Yeah. And so that everybody's working together for whatever that is best for the students. Wow. A lot involved. We have a couple phone calls. We'll go to one of them before our break. John from Owen County, you're on Noon Edition. Go ahead. Yeah, hi. Uh, Mary Catherine, I wanted to say hi to you first. Oh, uh, hi, John. John Loveland. Yeah, sure. Hi, John. (laughs) We were on the uh, Waldron board together years ago in the Missionary Arts Council. Back when the world Uh, was young. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Um, I've been in Hawaii for the last 15 basically the last 15 years, working with um, the l- oldest and largest uh, community-based autism center there. I've been the clinical director there, and I just came back in July, 
uh, to Owen County, where I was also on the school board and did some teaching in the school system. I've set up an interesting project. It's a, uh, we're applying for nonprofit status now, and we provide uh, and trained service dogs, uh, assistance dogs, for children who have d- neurological and developmental disabilities. Um, so we have a small center across from McCormick Street State Park, and uh, I, I am willing. I have a partner who's a, a registered nurse. I have a master's in social work. And we're willing to take on any kind of any kind of challenges for kids, help with IEPs, help with advocacy, help with uh, interventions. But the primary focus is wrapped around pets and, and, and dogs and working with, with children um, to uh, benefit from that assistance. So, John, have you had any experience working with children on the autism spectrum? Oh, yeah. That's what I said. I was clinical director of the... I mean, of, with, of the, with the dogs center. already. Oh, with the dogs, you're um, Ellie Ellie, which means black in Hawaiian, is sitting here in front of me. And she was has been with me the last six years in Hawaii in the classrooms in the, on the campus. And uh, we had about 70 staff and about 40 um, children there. And she worked every day with them, um, along with other dogs that, that we've had. Uh, and they worked spectacularly. I mean, some kids depending on hypo or hypersensitivities to touch mm-hmm. and whatever, may take a long time to warm up, and, and some are uh, over-aggressive, but the dogs have worked uh, really, really well. The kids have seen puppies born. They've seen, um, they've played with puppies. They've, they've, they've nurtured them through um, to adulthood and, and still played with them. And some, of course, don't have any interest at all. <laughs> but uh, but you know the ones that have that 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 could do it uh, here really benefit a lot. So we we want to extend that here for no charge to people. Um, we're, uh, Ellie is actually expecting puppies on the 13th. We're looking for training families to to help train, and then we'll be placing them for no no charge with with children. So we're looking for kids, and we're looking for foster families too. Wow. Okay, John, thank you very much for your call. We have to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU. We'd still like to hear your questions and comments for our guests. Give us a call, 877-285-9348. You can also send us a tweet at Noon Edition or join our live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiu.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news.
Welcome back to <coughs> Noon Edition. We have uh, studio members of various organizations. We have uh, Shauna Ritter of the Foundation for Autism Resources, Melissa Duby from the Indiana Resource Center for Autism, and Dana Renee of the Autism Society of Indiana. Yes, I feel like we're drinking out of a fire hose of information here today. Um, I just and I just completely lost my train of thought here. Sorry about that. Um, Shauna, did you want to clarify? Well, one of the suggestions I had is just people are getting so much information, so much good information, is that we each clarify for a moment just sort of like if you're looking for this kind of information, it might be best to contact um, Melissa or Dana or myself. So, for example, with FAR, Foundation for Autism Resources, we specifically serve qualifying families to help them access and connect with therapy and resources. How do they know if they're qualifying? Um, we'll let them know. It's economic qualification, mm -hmm. so they would qualify for children's uh, special needs, health care, and there's various federal guidelines that we use for qualification. So there's an economic qualification, uh, children between the ages of 2 and 12, and mm -hmm. children with an autism diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, but we're happy. If you call me and you don't qualify, I will refer you to somebody else that can help you out. Not a problem at all. Mm -hmm. um, I know we're going to give out information at the end, but I just want to make that clear that um, you know there's so much information coming. I wanted to help people sort of discern about who to contact. Um, so for the Autism Society, um, we have just an abundance of information. One of the one of the things that I forgot to mention at the beginning is we have the Autism Resource Network of Indiana, and it's called arnionline.org. And basically, it is a repository of thousands and thousands of resources, everything from websites to articles, events, provider information, um, pretty much anything that you can think of that you would like to get more information on. Um, we have legislative information on there. We have information about um, insurance. A lot of the information that other providers and organizations put out, we also put on Arnie, mm -hmm. um, just because it's kind of a one-stop shop for all of this different mm -hmm. information. Um, it's been online for about four years, and we've had about 1.3 million hits on it. Oh my it. gosh. Wow. Um, and the thing that's really cool about it is that all of the allies are the ones that put the information into Arnie, so it's kind of vetted. Mm -hmm. And so we make sure that before we put any information in about a provider, for example, that we know that they are legitimate, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term. Sure. And we also want to know, do they accept Medicaid? Do they accept insurance? What ages are they is their population. So we can make sure that people mm -hmm. have that information up front. They're not just having to go through list, list, list to mm -hmm. find what they mm -hmm. need. It almost sounds like each family who's dealing with this issue needs to have their very own advocate. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. And, <laughs> and so, and different kind of advocate too. So it depends on what the situation is. If it's something general, like wanting to learn more about autism or trying to figure out the maze of services, what to do, how to apply for a Medicaid mm -hmm. waiver, what does that even mean, how to get the assessment at the school, what happens if you're not three, so you're not eligible for school yet, mm -hmm. you know, you have but first But you're step. losing valuable time right. that you need to start treatment. Right, right. Yeah. And so 
And we I think the difference is, too, that Dana, is that you actually would walk the parents through. Yes. Where Indiana Resource Center for Autism would say, hey, why don't you call somebody from the Autism Society of Indiana? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we would be the person that would actually say, here are all of your resources. Maybe you should call Shauna for services for you know low-income families. We would know who all of the organizations are, and then we would funnel them to the different places for families. Okay, so let's just say I'm a mom. I suspect my child might be somewhere on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. What's my first phone call? Well, you could call, call any the, of us. Any really. of us. But exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> That's so true. If you suspected it and you called the Autism Society, you would be, you call the 800 number and type in your zip code and you would get the ally in your area. And so that ally knows what's happening with the schools and what providers are in that area and kind of, you know, where to get a diagnosis, Mm -hmm. what the wait times are, Mm -hmm. and then what to do in the meantime, because sometimes wait times are long. Like mm. They could be a year long. Mm. But like you said, we don't want to lose valuable time and resources. So depending on the age, the ally would walk the parent through what things they can do right now while they're waiting. Um, something might be to connect with the school to get an evaluation. Or it could be to send us back to our website because we have a bunch of articles yes. and different articles on, like, if you have troubles with eating or sleeping mm-hmm. or what is the you know, specific, yep. how, what, is, what is a criteria for a diagnosis of autism? We have an article mm-hmm. on that. Or, mm-hmm. So different articles. And then we also have different training. So, yes. if, like, we have Jed Baker coming and mm-hmm. an ADAS-2, which is a diagnostic material um, test assessment for testing kids with autism and mm-hmm. so we have different trainings so if they want the information on trainings right. that that mm-hmm. we would provide that exactly and, and that's why we work really hard to collaborate with the other organizations mm-hmm. I mean none of us can do everything mm-hmm. but exactly. together we can exactly and so just really being able to connect with all of the different organizations and what we do is, because we're statewide, we also look for the gaps in mm-hmm. services and try to mm-hmm. figure out, you know, if there's a partner of ours who might be looking to expand, we share that information with them to see if there's a place for them, mm-hmm. you know, where there's not a service or an intervention or training or something like that that's available. So, you know, that's really an important reason mm-hmm. to collaborate with all these groups. Right. I think, you know, we haven't we talked, were, oh, I'm going to interrupt you. Um, we haven't talked at all about um, medications and any kind of progress that's been made along those lines in medical research. Uh, do you guys try to keep abreast of those sorts of things and mm-hmm. um, assist families with, you know, Increasing their knowledge the best they can on this topic, or we have a list of physicians on our website, and I would usually refer families to those physicians, and so so they could get the most accurate information. Mm-hmm. And I would also leave that to the experts. We work with uh, service providers that are highly qualified service providers in the mm-hmm. state, and that would be something that they might have a conversation with them, and then it would have to go to a medical physician as well. Yeah, okay. and and the thing is, is that. There aren't medications to treat autism mm-hmm. because it's not a disease. You know, there's there's no prescriptive treatment for autism. And mm-hmm. so what we would do is educate the parents on the difference between um, all the different interventions and the reasons why you might they might want to look at certain things. But there are differencing different um, varying opinions on 
treatments and interventions. There are some biomedical treatments that people believe very strongly in. Mm-hmm. Um, some people believe very strongly in evidence-based interventions. And so it's really important, I think, to all of us that the parent gets to choose what they want to do, what's right for their family, what's right for their child. And it's our responsibility as a community to support those mm-hmm. families in whatever their decision is. Mm-hmm. Because what worked for my child may or may not work for anybody else's. Mm-hmm. And so it's not my right to tell a family what's right and what's wrong. We just want to make sure that families are getting very clear, <coughs> excuse me, very clear information on the different therapies and roads that are available mm-hmm. to them. Because I think there's yeah. a lot of misleading information out it, there. It sounds like each child and each diagnosis of each child is just 100% Unique. It is. Yeah, we always say if you know one child with autism, you you know know one one child child with autism. autism. (laughs) (laughs) They all have the, like uh, Shauna was saying earlier, they all have the core deficits of autism, but they they still perceive and interpret the world in a different way. I want to go ahead and give the phone number one more time because we only have about 10 or so, 12 minutes left in the in, in the show, 877-285-9348. Don't forget you can tweet us too, at Noon Edition, and we'll try to get that here on the air. Um, we were speaking earlier in the show about intervention. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're talking about now? Is that the same thing or is that different? So intervention, that's kind of... <laughs> kind of the official term. Yeah. But basically, an intervention is could be anything that... Um, a child can access to work on specific skill deficits. So, for example, um, applied behavior analysis, which Shauna was referring to, is um, a comprehensive behavioral intervention, um, again, uniquely tailored to that child. So to bring it down to a lay level, just because I think we're, ter- we're tossing <laughs> around you. so many terms that I, I worry that nobody's going to know what we're talking about. Um, basically, for example, applied behavioral analysis, or ABA, which is one of the evidence-based therapies, which means it's been researched, reinforces positive behaviors as a way of seeking to help a child work on their strengths to gain positive behaviors. For example, if a child um, is trying to learn to be more verbal, they would get a positive reinforcement every time they used a verbal cue. And that positive reinforcement might be getting to sing a song or going outside and swinging or spending or, or playing a game on the computer. It's all different kinds of positive reinforcements depending on the child mm-hmm. and the family. Mm-hmm. But instead of punishing a negative behavior, you look to encourage positive behaviors and thereby develop behaviors that might be lacking. You also look to discourage inappropriate behaviors like hitting or biting or other things that might be manifesting due to frustration on the part of the child. Does that help? So an intervention Mm -hmm. is sort of anything that you do. An intervention can be working with animals. Some people believe Mm -hmm. that that's very therapeutic. Or speech therapy, occupational therapy, social skills. And Uh, one doesn't outrule the other. You can be using a combination mm -hmm. of interventions and therapies. You should be using There is not one thing that works for all kids. And I think that, like I was talking about the evidence-based practices earlier, and some of those other uh, like Shauna was saying, evident, the, she's mentioned a few of the evidence-based practices. More might be visual supports that mm-hmm. you think of. We all have calendars. We mm-hmm. all have set routines within our lives. And so we have work systems that generate how what a, uh, what's going to look like during the time that we're like here on the radio. Uh, it could be... Uh, it, 
Uh, other evidence-based practices would be working with our peers, so it's called peer mediation mm-hmm. instruction, and how do we how do we bridge that gap of socially being able to interact with others, or in what social skills do I need to learn so I can mm-hmm. interact with other kids? And so social skills is another evidence-based practice, and so all of those 27 evidence-based practices are just strategies that have been supported by research that give us um, the, this great website uh, and from the University of North Carolina actually provides us a step-by-step instruction so that we can be able to apply those strategies with fidelity within our school district according to the research. And it takes time. I mean, that's one thing, you know, sometimes people will enter into working on an intervention or therapy and they think everything's going to be better. It it takes months and Mm -hmm. months and months Mm -hmm. and months sometimes to see progress. Um, But the one parent who couldn't join me today who wanted to make sure, um, her son uh, is almost 16 now. But at the age of four, he was told, uh, or she was told rather, he would never talk. He would never have any functionability. Um, he maybe she should think about institutionalizing him. Um, he now plays football on his high school team. Um, he's completely um, in all uh, quote unquote regular classes. Mm-hmm. Forgive the I have quotes going on around that, um, and that's because she started therapy with him at the age of four and consistently made sure that it was ongoing by highly qualified therapists throughout his childhood. And he now says, I don't want to be defined, in his own words, by someone who has autism, but I don't want you to forget that I have autism yeah, either. That's a great point. We, we missed a call that came in earlier, but we do know that the caller um, said that he, he had a question about how depression and the autism spectrum can interact. He said he has a 16-year-old high-functioning autistic child who is experiencing depression. Mm-hmm. You're shaking your head. That sounds yeah. like something that you've um, had interaction or experience with, Dana. Yeah, and you know, that's something that we are really, really focusing heavily on right now is the co-occurring mental health issue with autism specifically. 70% of people with autism have a co-occurring mental illness. 70%. 70%. And um, it's with the co-occurring autism and mental illness, it is extremely difficult to distinguish between the two, mm-hmm. right? Because you can't just use a regular depression screen mm-hmm. to know whether it's depression because the way that the individual might respond to the questions because of their autism might kind of skew the results. Their baseline is going to be different. Correct. And the depression might be might look like it's manifesting itself as autism-like behaviors, but really, that's not the autism. It's the depression. And then you can medicate for depression, mm-hmm. but you have to look for how that impacts the autism side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really challenging. And people, fortunately, are just starting to recognize that that is more common. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and it's kind of a passion of mine legislatively and throughout the community to educate families and providers that this is a big deal and that we, the mental health side of things needs to collaborate with the disability mm-hmm. side of things to really mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. because there are too few practitioners who have expertise in that area. Mm-hmm. And when you think about 70% of the hundreds of thousands of people in Indiana Mm -hmm. who are affected by autism, 
there's it's disproportional to the number of practitioners who are capable of providing that. Mm -hmm. And it could be something as simple as training and access to tools and techniques, but it's also coming together and doing a team approach where you have a mental health professional and an autism professional working side by side to treat that child or that adult with the co-occurring issues, diagnoses, at the same time. Yeah, I can only imagine how challenging that is because getting professional people together all in one room in one space is just, you know, everybody's busy and that's really hard. Well, And I think you bring up a good point because the co-occurring illnesses is one, mental illnesses, and also there's oftentimes co-occurring physical illnesses Mm -hmm. with autism as well. But there's also, for the families I work with that are living uh, at or near poverty, they're dealing with all the stresses Mm -hmm. of of income issues and then add to that. Um, It it goes across the board. Nothing exists in isolation is my point. And therefore, we can't work in isolation. We need to work in collaboration Mm -hmm. in order to have the greatest impact. Melissa, did you have something you wanted to add? I think think in addition to what both of them are saying is that a lot of times our students, especially with Asperger's or higher functioning autism, Mm -hmm. experience more anxiety and depression at the middle school, high school level Mm -hmm. because they're more aware that they're so different, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. they can't figure out how to Fig- how to fit in. Right. And, so that and that's it, the time when that's what life is all about. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh so you already have the stresses of just teenage teenagers being teenagers, and then you don't really understand what socially is going on in addition to that. And so we see that comorbidity of an illness at the same time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of times our middle schoolers also have to have a medication change if they are on medication because mm-hmm. the hormones are all changing in addition to all that. Um, as they go through puberty as well. And so it's just, it gets very complicated. It and does. It sounds like full-time work, really, for mm-hmm. the families who it are is. dealing with this. It mm-hmm. is. And, you know, again, going back to what um, Melissa was saying, it that's why it's so important for the families to be true partners with the schools. Mm-hmm. There needs to be that two-way communication. Mm-hmm. Sometimes parents don't want to disclose some of the medical stuff that's Mm -hmm. happening specifically with, um, you know, depression, bipolar, Mm -hmm. um, ADD, ADHD, those types of anxiety with the schools because they're not thinking that it might affect anything at school. You know, that's they're taking meds for that and it's all okay. But it's so important for the parents to communicate that. So immediately if something happens, they can fix it or they can mm-hmm. see it react and, appropriately. And react to it. Thank you. Yeah, we're running Have out of time. Plan. So I want to give each of you an opportunity to share your website, your phone number. Um, I know that there's an event coming up that you want to talk about. Sure. So we'll start with you. Okay. Um, if you want to find out more about the Foundation for Autism Resources, you can go to our website, which is Autism Resource. Altogether, one word, autismresource.org. Or you can contact me at Shauna, S-H-A-N-A, at autismresource.org. And we're excited to be uh, collaborating with um, Monroe County Autism Foundation and the Comedy Attic to do the very first ever Stand Up for Autism, a night of stand-up comedy on uh, April 19th. There'll be more information coming out about that. But because we're a nonprofit and because we support families with ongoing monthly scholarships to be able to access uh, services, we are constantly in the situation of fundraising. 
so that we can provide the good services to children. And I just want to say one more time, the very important thing here that I hope people walk away with is that autism does not only affect a child or a family with autism, it affects the entire community, and we need the entire community to support. Shauna, you want to go ahead and jump in really quick? Oh, Actually, Renee. you want Renee. Renee. You want Dana too. Or Dana. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm I saw you pointing to you. Uh. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the website for the Autism Society of Indiana is inautism.org. And if you want to reach an ally in your area, the toll-free number is 800-609-8449. And like I said earlier, you just dial that zip code or that number wherever you are and enter your zip code and you will be directly routed to the ally in your area. Great. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is that we have um, our Autism Expo in Indianapolis mm -hmm. is coming up Thank and you, you can find that on our website. Thank Thank in March. Right. Melissa, in March. 30 seconds. Indiana Resource Center for Autism. The website is www.iidc.indiana.edu forward slash IRCA. Our number is 812-855-6508 and just ask for anybody at Indiana Resource Center for Autism. Okay, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for having us. Thank and you. That's all the time we have. I'm Joe Wren in for Bob Zaltzberg alongside Mary Catherine Carmichael. Our engineer is Mike Pascash, and our producers are Lacey Scarmana and Alexander McCall. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition on WFIU. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu.